Ben's and Beanie's given already, if we tally up how much has been given. So quarter of the way there to the 350, which is amazing. So I'm going to start with this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, I shared it with a good friend of mine this week, and uh, I want to share it with us before I start preaching. Paul says to Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength. Know that our strength comes from God. That he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Doesn't it blow your mind that God would consider you trustworthy to do his will? That's just remarkable. Appointing me to his service. And he says, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. That we're able to do his will. That we're able to be strengthened. That we're able to be faithful with what he's called us to. It's just an incredible scripture that really uh, moved me this week. And I guess along a similar theme, first scripture this morning, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2, Paul says, now it's required of those that if you've been given a trust, you must prove faithful. God's given us a trust. He's, he's appointed us to service, and now he says, prove it true. If you married You've been given a trust to love your spouse. Paul says, prove faithful. You've been given a job. You've been given kids or you are a kid and you have parents. You've been given a trust. Paul says, if you've been given a trust, prove faithful. Next scripture, Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. In other words, there are no small things in the kingdom of God. If we are happy to say a small white lie, we'd never lie about a big thing, but a small thing we'd, we'd be okay to lie with. A writer says, Jesus says, if you can't be trustworthy in a little thing, we tell our kids, God is looking to see how trustworthy you are in obeying mom and dad for this little thing of tidying up your room or whatever it might be. Everything we do is a trust test for God. And there's no little things. There's no little things in God's kingdom. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches? Jesus is saying, the money we have, how we use it, this is a test. And it's just worldly wealth. But actually, there's more. There's true riches. And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Very challenging verses. And as an eldership team, we feel that it's really important that we're open, that we're transparent, and that we share with you guys on an annual basis the church financial position. And so we've just had the financials of the church audited, and that's what I want to do this morning for the first part of this, the service. Um, but I think it's helpful for you all to understand some of the principles that guide and shape how we handle the church finances so that you guys can be comfortable and confident that we do have guidelines in place, that we do have boundaries, that we do have controls and accountability, and that we're stewarding, in line with those verses, that we're stewarding the money that's been given by everyone here in a way that honors God. Because what we've given is unto God. So the first thing is that 
as a church, Hope City Church, we are a registered PBO, public benefit organization. We have a constitution. We have a bank account. There are three signatories. None of the leaders can just go into the bank or online banking and move money around and pay stuff fraudulently. It can't happen. There are three signatories that, that things have to take place. We have an external bookkeeper, a lady called Jill Gersh. She runs a bookkeeping company. She does the books. She logs onto the bank. She loads the payments. She reconciles the bank statement, etc., etc. There's two people required to authorize any payment. I can't just pay my wife or Vim or whoever I want to. I, I can't because there are controls in place to handle the finances. The elders who govern the affairs of the church, we don't see the bank statement. We don't know who's giving what or how much has been given. Jill sends us a monthly management report, so we get the summary, we get the headlines, but we don't know who gives what. We honestly don't, because we don't want to know, oh, wow, Alana gives 40 grand a month. We must have coffee with Alana three times a week. Make sure she's happy she can stay in the church and we can have good coffee next week for free. We don't want that. We don't want any accusation that we're favoring one person over another simply by what's given back to God. It's not given to us, it's to God. So the elders don't know who gives what. I know how much I give, but I have no idea what you guys give, right? Can I say, with the beans and a beanie thing, if you're giving to that, use the reference beans so that we know that money is for that thing. When you're tithing, don't put your name, put tithe. If you're giving an offering, the aircon doesn't work, I'm cold in that corner of the building, Mata's, Mata's like, I want to be warm in that, I want an aircon right where I sit. If you're putting an offering that's not your tithe, say offering or say for the air cons or say for an outreach or for the orphanage that we work with or the old age home we work with. Whatever it is, put that thing. Don't put your name. Because if anyone does happen to see them, we don't want to treat you differently, honestly. Some people want to bless someone else in the church for whatever reason. Want to give them five grand gift, a vesh, you know, five grand, it's your birthday next week. I don't know when your birthday is. <laughs> January, April, okay, I missed it, sorry, man. But I don't want a vesh to know that I'm the one giving him the gift. So you can put it in the church bank account and the church can pay it anonymously to a vesh. We're not going to give you his banking details <laughs> for obvious reasons. If you're going to do something like that, please get hold of Jill and say, Jill, I've got a gift for someone in the church. Please, can you make sure it gets to Avesh? And then when you do the EFT, say for Avesh. Or like, make your reference logical. And then if, if it's something different out of the ordinary, get hold of the bookkeeper and tell her it's for that. Is that all right? Just trying to make it simple for everyone here. That's how the, the kind of banking works. We have a finance team in the church where all six of the elders plus Albert, wherever he is, the back, Deacon Albert, uh, is involved. That's because we don't want the elders just to like, oh, you're the best elder in the world. Be blessed, you know? Like we don't, we don't want that kind of thing happening. So we have Albert who's external and impartial um, to, to make sure we do things right. He actually is heads up the finance team, not the elders. We also make our decisions based on consensus. We discuss things and we make sure we agree on how we're spending the money that's been given to what God's doing at Hope City Church. We also give our financial statements to external people. 
So in the last month, we've given the, um, a summary of the church, kind of like a one-pager. This is how the church is doing financially. This is what, as elders, we feel like God's calling us to. We've given that to three external people, part of the NCMI apostolic team. Bruce McAlpine, Steve Wimble in Hillcrest, and um, Derek Chester Brown in Secunda. And we've had at least a one-hour chat with them saying, what do you guys think? Yeah, this looks good, but you need to tighten your belt over there or pull up your socks in this area. We get external feedback because this is God's money. This is God's church. We don't want to have any accusations against us with regard to stewarding uh, what God has done. We've also had our financial statements audited the last two years, even though it's not required for an organization of our size. We want to be above reproach when it comes to finances because there's so many dodgy things happening uh, in, in other churches. So when you tithe, when I tithe, the tithe is used for the running of the church, for the rental, for the electricity, for the salaries, for the cleaning expenses, for the ministry, for outreaches, etc. And can I say that I don't think tithing is being generous because tithing, Malachi tells us, is giving back to God that which belongs to Him. It's not ours to keep. In fact, Malachi says you're robbing God if you keep the tithe. The Bible says the tithe is holy unto the Lord. That means it's special. It's set apart. It's for God. Yeah? Hebrews implies that Jesus Himself collects the tithe in heaven. Now, I don't know quite how that works, but that's what Hebrews says. Tithing is what rebukes the devourer, what opens the heaven's floodgates of blessing over our life. It's the baseline, it's the bare minimum a Christian should do. There was, much earlier in the year, a kind of a once-off tithe, which was out of the ordinary, hasn't happened again. Over 200,000 rand, one EFT, tithe came in. Biggest tithe the church ever has received. Don't know who it's from. You might think, wow, that's so generous. No, it's not. It's a tithe. And we can all multiply by 10, so we know what, how that person was blessed, yeah? And if you only tithe 5%, then you're multiplying by 20, which is even bigger. <laughs> we should be tithing, obviously, 10%. But, but that's not generous. That's giving to God what is God's. I trust that person's also generous. They're also going to give to Beans and a Beanie and the other stuff we're doing, and give stuff beyond what Hope City Church is doing, because that's generosity, not tithing. Besides tithing, we see other types of giving in the Bible. People gave into projects or building projects. They gave to the poor, the needy. Some people call it almsgiving. They also gave to the likes of Paul and Barnabas, who were traveling between churches and planting churches, a translocal offering an apostolic offering to help plant churches and see other churches strengthened. So there's beyond the tithe, we see other giving. And so I encourage us all, continue tithing faithfully and also allow God to stir your heart when there are poor people, when there are translocal things, where there are mission trips to give above and beyond the tithe. So there should be a graph on the next uh, slide there you go, I don't know how clear it is. That's not too bad. The blue bar is the income, the tithes and offering that's come in. And this is a financial year, 2020, uh, ending Feb 2020, 2021, and 2022. So the last three years, 
church financials. And you can see the orange bars are the expenses, what we've had to pay out. And the gray bar, if it's above the line, is the surplus at the end of the year. And if it's below the line, like in 2020, we went backwards. Uh, 2020 was about 50,000, we went backwards. But it's amazing to see that blue line or that blue graph going up. Why? God's added to the church. The church is growing. People are tithing, etc. God's blessing individuals. It's amazing. Expenses went down from 20 to 21 and then up to 22. Big part of that is the rental that we pay here. I'll get to that in a moment. But amazingly, the last financial year that ended end of Feb this year, nearly a 300,000 rand surplus into the bank account. God is good, amen? In COVID times, I'm just blown away. Can you go to the next slide? So these are some of the big expenses as a percentage of the total expenses, just to give you an idea of where some of the money goes. So rental as a proportion of the whole expense, 27% in 2020, 28%. 2021, and 33% this last year. And that's because halfway through 2020, we doubled the size of this venue. But the landlord only started charging us extra at the end of that year. So 2021, you see it went up a little bit because we only paid extra rental for a couple months. But the last year, we've paid the full extra rental. So the rental has gone up. Next one, the staff. What do we pay for? Salaried staff, and we've had part-time and full-time staff over the years. Uh, we've um, the car guards that we pay, uh, the child minders. That has decreased as a percentage of our expenses, partly because we're living in COVID times. We don't give people increases when everyone else is not getting an increase. So that's, I guess, flatlined. Looked like it's gone down, but the income has gone up. So as a percentage, it looks like it's dropped. And then another important metric that we track is our giving. So I think the next one. How much as a church do we give out to other churches and other ministries? How do we, because God is not giving just for us to keep it all here. We have a heart for the whole planet, bit by bit through this community and beyond. So our giving is primarily to the apostolic, to planting other churches, to seeing other churches strengthened. We aim for at least 10%. So we got that right in 2020. There's no naught missing in 21. <laughs> Don't know what happened there. We were stingy, Lord forgive us. But in 2021, a lot of money came in from all of us and went out again to support those in need for COVID. So we don't count that, that came straight in and straight out. This is giving from the regular income. And then last year we hit 9%. So when we give these figures to the apostolic voices that speak into the church, the one guy said, your giving's not bad, 9%, you're doing all right, you know? but actually you can do a whole lot more than that. And he's right. Actually, we can stretch ourselves and say, God, our heart is for not just Hope City Church, not just the work we're involved with, but with starting other things. And so our aim is to grow that in the coming year. Some of the other expenses that we have, as I said, cleaning, electricity, kids' ministry expenses, um, sound equipment, these things break, stands, microphones, etc., break over time. We replace them. Uh, subscriptions to software, website maintenance, um, outreaches, printing for visitors packs, a whole bunch of other smaller stuff, but those are the big ones that go out of the church. And? Data. No, no, data is almost free. Got no problem with data, thankfully. 
So the, the church, and then just the last point there, how much cash did we have in the bank on hand at the end of the financial year? 310,000 at the end of 2020, it went up a bit, 384, and praise God, over 600,000 in the bank. And our aim is not to sit on that, and I'll tell you what we'll be using that for in the coming months, but, but I'm so grateful to God that we're in a stable financial position. Not every church can say we have money in the bank, our staff haven't missed a salary check, etc. Can we give God a hand? It's amazing. So we are, we are trusting God for a new venue. It doesn't look like it because most people are on holiday in the winter. They fly south to Durban to keep warm. Uh, that's where we were last weekend, actually, in KZN. Um, but if, you, if you've got kids in the kids' ministry, you know how packed it is. We've got no outside area for our kids to play. We'd love to have more space. We'd love to be able to do more stuff with our facility. You'll see next Sunday when we put the tables at the back for tea and coffee, it's going to feel cramped in here. We've been in this venue for four years. We know God's, this is not the end of the journey. There's something else coming up ahead. And also the, the rental we're paying here, we're in a retail, we're in a shopping center. That's expensive per square meter, right? Paying about 100 rand a square meter here. So if you're occupying a square meter, <laughs> if you're occupying two square meters, uh, you know, <laughs> if you lie across the whole row, it's like two and a half square meters. <laughs> But we, we don't want to waste God's money. God brought us here. I could tell you that story another time maybe. But the next one, we want to say, God, give us more space at a lower rate. We can trust God for those things. And just, you, you won't know this because I haven't said this before, but we, we have three different bank accounts, and one of them is for offerings for a building fund. We might need to buy a building one day or buy land and build. Certainly, whatever we get, we're going to need to renovate. When we moved in here four years ago, it cost us 150,000 rand to renovate this place, okay? We didn't take it from what was in the bank. We said, church, we're moving. God's got us to the next chapter. Let's give offerings. And more than that came in to, to do what we have here. So we know we'd love to keep some of that, but we might say, hey guys, God's got a new venue. We need money to get it ready. So we have a building fund. And if you were around last year, there were two months, I think it was September, October, we did double services. Remember that, eight o'clock and 10 o'clock. It was tough, eh? Having to preach the same thing twice, the band having to sing twice, the kids' ministry on twice. It's because we got to... Small, this venue became too small. And someone came in and saw what was happening and said, you know what? God's going to grow this thing. They said, I'm putting an offering for your new building, whenever that is, person in the church. Accountant came back and said, 10 grand's been put in for a new venue. And we didn't ask anyone to. Why? God's moved someone's heart. So friends, if God stirs your heart to give towards a new building, be it 10 grand or 10 grand, market building, we'll ring fence it, we'll allocate it to uh, what it needs to get to. It's exciting. We also trust in God for more staff. We have one permanent employee and uh, she ran out of capacity some years ago. So can I ask you to pray? <laughs> I live with that person. <laughs> it's my wife. <laughs> can I ask you to pray, honestly, that we as elders would hear God when we make decisions about venue 
or about staff or about anything because we want to hear God. We don't want to let this budget dictate to what God wants to do because he's not limited by a bank account. And if we just limit to the bank account, we'll never be able to achieve what God wants for us. But Lord, help us hear you so we can step by faith. We don't want to be reckless and say, oh, we're going to rent a building for double the rental. That would be unwise unless we've heard God. So can I ask when you pray for the church and you pray for the leaders, pray that we would hear God clearly. Because if we do move or when we move, it's going to be exciting. But we, we must be sure we've heard God. Amen? Amen. Okay. You are free to ask me any questions about the church financials. You can have a look at the audited statements if you'd like. Everything's transparent, etc. Feel free to chat to me afterwards. But turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read the first few verses. Paul's writing to this church in Corinth that he helped to start, and it's the, towards the end of his first letter. He says, and now... Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now he's talking, he's writing to the Corinthians, he's talking about another bunch of churches in Macedonia. And he says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. What does extreme poverty look like? Can I say it doesn't look like this? Okay. Welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely of their own. In other words, there wasn't a fundraising campaign. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Now he's talking about the Corinthians. But since you Corinthians excel in everything, in faith, in speech, and knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. What an interesting phrase. Paul says, excel, achieve well, be first place. Do brilliantly in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others, the Macedonian churches. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here's my final judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give but also to have the desire to give. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So Paul's saying, he's writing to his church, and he's saying the context is that in Jerusalem, the church is persecuted, they're, they're, they're struggling and Paul is going around to other churches and saying, the church in Jerusalem is under attack. They're being persecuted. Can you support financially? And so it seems like the Corinthian church, we're so keen. Titus put up his hand. We're there. The Macedonian churches did the same. And Paul's saying, hey, 
last year you guys said you're going to be the first to give and your enthusiasm's great, but, but now finish the job. Okay, this is kind of what he's saying. And so here are three points about our giving and our generosity. This is not about tithing. If you want to know about tithing, I can give you some amazing resources. This is our giving. This is our offering. This is our above tithing stuff. Yeah? First, most important point about our generosity is that we give ourselves first to the Lord. Okay? God doesn't want your money if he doesn't have your heart. We sung about the heart of worship. Kenneth shared, God wants our hearts. They didn't know what I'm preaching on. God does not want your money if he cannot have your heart. So we worship him. We put him first. We lift him up. We follow him. We devote ourselves to Jesus first. We put him at the center. Because when he's at the center, like the sun is the center of the solar system, all the other stuff in our life, marriage, work, parenting, finances, everything else, finds its rightful orbit. We try and make anything but Christ the center, the other stuff will spin out of orbit because Jesus should be the center of our lives. So Paul says this, the Macedonians were like a, a good example. They first gave themselves to the Lord. The second thing about our generosity is we give ourselves to other people. Paul says they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then also they gave themselves to us. In other words, to Paul and his companions. Generosity is about giving ourselves to each other. If you've ever been in a crisis or a time of need, you will know what's more important than receiving a pack of blue buffaloes, 100 rand notes, is if someone genuinely cares and has compassion and love. They phone you, how was the job interview? They bring you a meal when you're too sick to make one yourself. They bring medicine for your kids. That's happened to us, and we've given medicine of kids to other people who are struggling. It's dropping off a meal when, when someone's in need. It's caring, it's loving, it's kindness. Paul says to the Roman church, be devoted to one another. I know people who are devoted to their soccer team. The soccer team's in another country, another continent. Paul says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So we, we give ourselves first to the Lord, our hearts in the right place. Then we give ourselves to people, community, fellowship. And this Macedonian church, I, I don't know if it blows your mind, but their generosity, remember Paul says extreme poverty, their generosity wasn't compensation for their lack of dedication. In other words, they didn't just give money because it's easy to give money, right? Ah, I come to church once a month, I'll just give money. I'm not involved in life group. Who cares about the beans? But I... <laughs> Sometimes just giving money is a cop-out because God wants our heart. And this church, they didn't use that as an excuse. They gave themselves to God, then to others. They knew that's more important than giving money. But they still gave money. They didn't stop there. They gave financially. What a church that must have been. Imagine you went to visit that church and you could just tell they were giving themselves first to the Lord. 
and then to each other. And they were generous with their stuff. Imagine that could be said about this church. Please, Lord. My last point about our generosity is that giving originates from grace. And grace is needed to give. In other words, grace is both the motive and the means. Grace is the motive, the motivation, the reason we give, and it's what helps us to give. Let me show you what I mean. A verse we read earlier. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. So because Christ gave himself for us, he died on the cross to save us, we couldn't save ourselves. We were stuck in the depravity of our sin, in the miry clay. Because Christ reached down and his grace saved us, Paul says that's the motivation that we give. We realize that all we have comes from God. So cute, those baby noises, eh? Very cute. Remember that verse where Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God? I think we can say, I have what I have by the grace of God. If it wasn't for God's grace, friends, where would we be, honestly? All that we have comes from God. And if God has given us so much, just in Christ, our eternity, why should we be stingy? So Paul says the motivation, the reason we give is the grace of God. It's the motive. But it's also the means, because I don't know if you're like me, if you're human, if your heart beats, it's hard to give stuff away. It's hard to give what we think is ours. It's not natural to part with our stuff and our money. So we need God's grace to help us, to enable us, to unclench our fists, that we could be those who are generous. We need His grace that we can give with joy because God loves a cheerful giver. We need God's grace that we could give with faith because without faith, Hebrews says, we cannot please God. We give anonymously because we don't want the pat on the back from a human. We need God's grace to, to enable us to give. And the amount we give, as Paul says, is not, the amount's not important because in God's economy, the kingdom of Heaven's financial system is different to the world's financial system. The kingdom of heaven is unconcerned with the amount that's given, rather with the heart of the giver. So Paul says, if the willingness is there, if the heart's in the right place, and you're following and you're obedient, Paul says, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Let me work that out with a story of a true life event that happened in Jesus' life, Mark chapter 12. I haven't got this on the notes, but we're going to need some volunteers this morning. We need one woman who can act like she's very old. No, no speaking required. You're not going to embarrass yourself. Vaughn, can you get the offering box at the back, put, and can you be one of our, can you be Jesus. Vaughn is going to be Jesus. He's got the offering box. I need a few wealthy people. You're going to give lots of money this morning. You don't have to. It's, it's all pretend. Don't worry. It's like, <laughs> I promise you. 
Vaughn, come and sit over here, Brie. Sit here. I need this. Where are my volunteers? An old woman and some generous people, some wealthy people. Elvin, wealthy. Come on, Brandon, thank you. Yes. Okay, but we still need an old woman. No. Do you want to? Okay, awesome. Okay, back of the queue. Old woman, back of the queue. So let me read you Mark 12, 41. Jesus. <laughs> the men are on pause. <laughs> Mark 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings, it's a very small box, <laughs> were being put in and watched the crowd put their money in. Now, have you ever watched the Leon Schuster movie? You know that like it's so obvious why I even do it? Like, Jesus is like, it's not subtle, it's not hiding. I don't want them to see that I'm watching what money they put in. Like, everyone's checking Jesus, check them. Okay? I'll watch you watch me, those glasses. Okay. Jesus is sitting, he's watching, he's checking it out, and people start to give. So you guys walk down, put lots of money in. Hey, plastic! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> many people... Many rich people threw in large amounts, car keys, credit cards. But a poor widow, sorry, Vaughn. <laughs> a poor widow, <laughs> marriage counseling happening afterwards here. <laughs> but a poor widow came in and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. She's got two coins. Three copper coins, okay. The scripture was wrong. <laughs> Three copper coins. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus says, truly I tell you, this widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, their abundance. She gave out of her poverty. She put in everything she had to live on. Three. One in each slot. That's amazing. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Grab a seat. But you see the picture. Jesus is not concerned with the amount, but she see, he sees the heart of someone who gives two coins or three coins in this case. And when I mentioned earlier that someone had put in a, a massive tithe of over 200,000 rand, I'm not saying that that amount is more important than someone who puts in 2,000 or 200. God's not concerned with the amount. I, I say that simply to say, actually, God can bless us immensely. And praise God that someone has been blessed immensely. I'm wanting us to, to break the box that we put on God because we often think, oh, my salary check, my commission check, that's all that God can do. But He can do way more than that. So don't, please don't think that I think the bigger givers are more important because Jesus says, two coins, but the heart is right, is more important. And for this Macedonian church, the, the church in poverty, their generosity wasn't hindered by their poverty. Because they were poor, it didn't stop them being generous, okay? They didn't use it as an excuse. We are so good at using excuses. I'd love to give more to what God's doing, but I've got to pay the bond or the rent or the school fees or the car need service and those are all good things. Please don't default on your bond. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but I think for many of us, me included, 
we use excuses for reasons not to give. And this church did not have, it didn't use their poverty as an excuse not to give to what God was doing. And Paul's not, Paul's not suggesting a, a standardized levy. Okay, there's the church in Jerusalem is this big, we need 100,000 rand. There's 100 people in the church, everyone give 1,000. He's not saying it's a standard levy, okay? He says it's according to your means. Those who had less would have given less. It might have been two copper coins. We don't know. Those who have more are going to give more. Why? Because they've got more to give. Paul's not saying everyone must give the same amount, but our generosity is as God stirs our heart and as Paul says, according to your means. You, thinking of the beans and the beanie, you might only be able to give 120 bucks, two of those packs. You might be able to give 10. You might be able to give 50. I don't know. But we're not going to have everyone giving two, 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 two. Why? Because we all have different means. Okay? So our generosity is not a standardized kind of levy. And Paul was, Paul wanted this wealthy Corinthian church to share with other Christians who were in need the church in Jerusalem. And if you read a bit further, verse 13, verse 14, Paul was going to take the offering to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. So it was going to those who were leading the church, and they would have known who in their church was in need. They would have been able to tell and give that money in the right way. In that time, when Paul was writing, do you know that it was a dangerous thing to be a Christian? You got persecuted. You might have died for your faith. So there weren't any fake Christians. You believed in Jesus. Your whole life was sold out for him or you were something else, right? Because you couldn't die for your faith. They weren't pretend Christians, pretending they were in need, trying to scam you. Paul didn't have that problem, right? But you and I today face scammers. This church has tried to be scammed a number of times. Praise God, we've deflected, we've seen through it, we've been uncomfortable, we haven't given, etc. But there are plenty of pretend needs out there, pretending people are so holy. Someone sent us a mail a week or two ago and said, uh, I'm in the ministry and I've spent years in Turkey and now I'm coming back and can you help me out with some accommodation? We don't know who they are. They found the church email address, well, it's on the website. We said, hey, come and, come and meet us. Come on Sunday, let's get to know you. We're not just going to give out to people we don't know. Why? Because they are scammers. So the challenge that you and I face today, which Paul and them didn't face, there weren't any scam Christians. Now we're going to run away with your money and buy a private jet or whatever. Dodgy Christians do this day and age. Okay? But you and I need to give wisely. Maybe you have been scammed, I don't know. We have to have wisdom with how we give. And I trust that if you're giving to Hope City Church, you've seen that we do steward things wisely because we, we want God's kingdom to advance. We have no desire for our thing to advance. We want what God wants here. So when you give, give generously, Paul says, according to your means, heart in the right place, giving in faith, giving with joy, giving anonymously. We don't want people to treat us differently. But Paul says, do it wisely. And he says this, Despite their poverty, there was this welling up of generosity to help others who were in need. It's an incredible thing. 
We mustn't be scared to talk about finances. We probably talk about finances in the church maybe twice a year, which is a lot less than Jesus spoke about money, just so you know. Why? Because we're scared of becoming a whatever label you put on those churches who speak about money a lot. I don't know. But we can't not speak about it because it's part of God's kingdom. And God says you can't serve money and God, but you can use money to serve God. And that's what we want to be as a church. Not tied down to the things of this world, enjoying the blessing of God, but not, not being, what's the word? Not being owned by our stuff. Not being owned by our bank account. But being open-handed whenever God says we should be giving. Amen? Let me... <laughs> Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we... Read that scripture again, Lord. You somehow, <laughs> you said,